0: Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs podcasts and videos directly in your inbox i would like to thank my friends at the institute for family business for their continuing support for what i'm doing with this show the ifb is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges interests values and goals to find out more about their work visit ifb.org.uk let's get on with the show Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. This is part two of our Reimagining Transitions interview with Dennis Jaffe, Ken McCracken, Daniel Tremarki, and Stacey Allred. Uh, the four of them have co-authored and collaborated on a fantastic white paper that looks at the um, ever-present topic of transition planning within family business This is part two of an interview with the four of them. So if you haven't heard part one yet, please go back and check that out. It's well worth it. In this conversation, we get a little bit more into the detail around things like the language and some examples of successful transitions. As I mentioned in the last show, this has come about through the work of the ultra high net worth institute and the white paper is contained on their home page so if you head over to uhnwinstitute.org there is a link there to the white paper i will put the link for that in the show notes as well so if you're out and about and can't visit that site right now uh, it'll be in the show notes when you can please do continue to sign up to the newsletter. You can do that by heading to fambizpodcast.com. So without further ado, I will hand over to part two of the discussion with my four guests. Um, and I hope you continue to enjoy the interview. One of the other elements that you mention in the paper is the importance of shifting language. And Daniel, you mentioned this earlier around the shifting of language from Succession planning to continuity planning. Can you kind of explain what what the importance of that is, or why why you're suggesting that happens?
1: Well, I I mean I had to chuckle to myself just as you were saying that because it's I know it's a, been a, a pet peeve of yours for for quite some time and one that we've been very aligned on. Um, but I think um, well within the paper we kind of put it down to three areas. So. One of the reasons we we moved away from succession planning to talk about transition and continuity is that myth that that I mentioned earlier about the binary nature of this. And, And succession implies that somebody replaces somebody else in a role. And that's quite binary and it's quite stagnant and it's also a point in time. And so we really wanted to move away from that because what we're seeing in practice is that these transitions, happen over years and, and they happen in often a scaled or a staged way. And so we're not really talking about one in one out. Um, and we've seen that even with some of the research that that we at KPMG have done with, with some of our, our counterparts, that families where multiple generations are engaged and involved in the business do have increased Uh, return when it comes to things like digital transformation or or even business performance in some elements. And so being able to treat it as a process and and look for that continuity was important. Um, As I said, additionally, this happening over multiple years, uh, decades even, I think is something that we wanted to take note of. Uh, And lastly, continuity is a goal for a lot of business families. So... For these families, this idea of continuing success, of stability, consistency, um, these are all desired outcomes. And so the language can be important here uh, in ensuring that there is that collective ambition coming back to that true north. And we want that to supersede any one individual transition or succession. So it does actually, also tie nicely into what we were just speaking about with with empathy because i think even just listening to that that conversation we we started with the idea that yes empathy is a good thing um for me it's it's almost a non-negotiable because of the interdependent nature of these processes and so if we can't understand and appreciate the perspective of the other generation, the sibling, the parent, uh, the child, then we don't have that ability to be a part of a wider process. Um, So I think for those reasons, we really felt that, that succession planning has its role and its definition, but what we're talking about here is much broader in the idea of how do we build continuity within the business family, um and and that was the reason for for shifting that language and starting to hopefully bring it um into the into everyday conversations with a lot of families
2: and could i just say something there because language is so important continuity of business family as you put it down daniel and correctly and said i think at least twice is not necessarily the same as continuity of a family business continuity of a particular economic activity might not suit a particular business family and that could be part of the conversation so yeah these things are important and it's important that we highlight them because uh, it just hopefully then aids the quality of conversation that people can have
0: yeah i think that clarification on on what's been spoken about is really important as well including the language because i believe it's different in the the states it's more referred to as estate planning in in the states and and outside the uk but in the uk dealing with your estate on death is also referred to quite often as succession planning and so if you're kind of um put forward with the idea of let's let's talk about our succession planning can paint that picture in people's minds of we are talking about the ultimate in terms of succession planning rather than that continuity aspect so I agree I think that the language is important that's part of the reason why Daniel you mentioned about that we've had conversations about this before um I think I actually um first heard the phrase from Murray Mickle uh, that that she was using it in in term, in replacement of um succession planning as well
3: mm-hmm. two two points come out of this um from what uh you know uh, Dan uh, Daniel said and um from what Ken said um one is the get away from either or Thinking and say let let's if we have a disagreement or a difference let's try both ways that there isn't one way forward and families have to create experiments. So you say well gee we should be investing in this or um, uh, you know or we should be selling um, our, our business or something that um, the family should um, allow people to experiment and to try out different things. And the, the second thing I think about the idea of continuity planning is that it's a it's a roadmap. It's a series of steps. And each step then leads you to the next step. So it isn't um the beginning, a middle, and an end. It's really here we are. What do we do now? Um this is a time of uncertainty. This is a time of uh, uh great um uh, you know kind of global um discontinuity and, and uh um uh you know extremes. Um what do we do now? What what's our next step? And you begin to get the family together to say Let's set some priorities um, for changes that we want to put in motion this year. And then we'll look ahead next year to see further changes. And, and this is, means that it isn't a, um, a one-stop uh, shop for transition. It's really an, an, an evolutionary process and, and continual change and experiments and new ideas. And, and, and I think that's what we're um, seeing now in, in um, continuity planning.
2: Could could I I just actually contradict something I said earlier, uh, which is not unusual for me, but (laughs) I said it's useful to set a date, but that's conceited because who knows when you'll need this plan. If the COVID pandemic taught us anything, things happen that we don't expect and the likelihood of unexpected mortality, for example, or other events that demand an instant reaction should put us on notice that we need to have an ongoing engagement with continuity planning. That I know I don't colleague. Of some of us Bonnie Brown was great at this. She had fire drills and this kind of stuff. Yeah, Dennis, you're nodding. And it was very, if this happened tomorrow, what do we, what happens in the business? What happens in the family around leadership and ownership and governance and all these other good things. And I think, there's great wisdom in that, that people should have this as an ongoing plan. So it was just when we were talking about continuity, it made me think, yeah, this is a continual need. It's not something we have a succession plan some date in the future, it will all happen. Because tomorrow,
1: you might need to make it happen. And I I think just building on that is, and we see this with so much of what we do, is that these are always living documents. Um, The plan that we put together now, is something that will evolve like you said either because of internal or external factors Um, we need to we need to continually adjust and review I, i remember working with a family who had what they called their kind of planned plan and their unplanned plan and so they they had their hit by the bus plan in terms of what ken was mentioning there what happens day one day 10 day 30 and how do you move forward and then they had their structured plan because they saw the variables that they could control um, the variables that they couldn't uh, and the variables that they they weren't sure on that they thought yeah as of today this is the what we think but but they made a constant effort to make sure both plans were not just reviewed but they were understood by everyone because i think it, it came back to that interdependent nature so i think treating all of this and and really i'm just reiterating that that point around process but it it is that these are living breathing documents and that, that they're built on human assumptions beliefs values morals ideas which can change someone has an argument or a falling out with someone that might change the whole plan um, so we need to make sure that we're we're factoring that in I think along the journey
0: I think that can also be applied to, to what you were saying earlier about the um, reflective, Um, self-reflection and and, uh, what Stacey mentioned about reflecting on experiences if through this self-reflection you think well what I'd really like to do in order to to maintain some of the elements of well-being that are derived from my role within the the family enterprise is to do this and then actually on reflection of having done that it doesn't quite do what you thought it was going to do that's not to say right let's tear this all up and I'll just stick doing what I'm doing (laughs) It's about making that whole process iterative. And also that kind of brings me on to talking about the role that self-reflection plays in having empathy for others as well. Because if you do that empathy map exercise and then you were were able to to put some steps in place as a result of that to to better understand uh, what each of you are going through, that continual self-reflection should also work alongside the empathy side right is that something you would suggest from from what you're saying in the paper
1: definitely i think that self-reflection it helps practice empathy um it allows people to recognize and acknowledge what other people are going through um, and then it, it, it you ask yourself those questions what can i do differently to change that dynamic what role am i playing in generating that outcome Um, And this is specifically, I think, important within the family dynamic because we are also often dealing with a power imbalance when we don't have equal parties here with equal authority or control. Um, And we talked about the fear of loss earlier. We talked about the difficulty for the senior generation. In many cases, this conversation as a whole is involving them often giving something up. Um, giving up control, authority, and that can lead, yes, we talked about loss of identity, loss of purpose, but I think more specifically, it's that appreciation for the change that they're going through. Um, and this kind of builds off the myths that we were talking about earlier, is that in many cases, the, the next generation are transitioning into roles that have existed have been filled by someone previously. They're taking on the CEO role from their parent. They're taking on a director role from someone else. They're stepping onto a board that exists. It's the senior generation that in many cases are stepping into the unknown because we haven't had generations previously that have lived as long, who have stayed as healthy, who have been as engaged. And so it it kind of comes back to one of the underlying Premises of, of why we're here, which is that in many cases it's the senior generation that have the more difficult task. Um, just based on that uh, that idea of what are they transitioning to, and so I think that self reflection piece um, leads to that self awareness, and and to your point, it helps practice that empathy. So, listening and supporting each other, trying to gain those perspectives, recognizing that releasing control is hard um all of those things tie into i think this this process and those conversations
2: i think i think there also there's an element here russ these are lifetime skills i mean the more you practice the better you get at it it's like most things so it's going to be hard if you're sort of the personality that decides to devote your entire life to building up the business which is satisfying a number of goals including your selfish needs and ego it's kind of hard to stop at 65 and and discover a great skill for empathy that's like not playing golf for 30 years and then picking up a club at 65 and expecting to play off a one handicap so I think in a family business environment if we can get this type of thinking involved at an early stage and to develop a skill for yes what what are my individual aspirations and what does the other people that are involved with me, what do they need, and do I really understand that? Do I, just because I'm old doesn't mean I understand what. You no, know, well, put that a different way. Just because I was, was twenty, is no basis on point upon which to understand what a twenty year old wants today. Really, just because I was twenty forty years ago, that's ridiculous. So, how well do I understand the needs and needs of the other people that are part of this, and to take time out to cultivate that and develop that thinking along the way and not just back it all up and suddenly decide to become an expert in something in our later life, that's not going to work. So think about it as a lifetime skill that you need to cultivate if you're in a family business as much as you need to cultivate how to read a balance sheet.
0: Yeah, and I think, again, in terms of the golf analogy, I think it's a useful because it that, that tends to be the kind of answer if people think, well, what are your retirement plans? Uh, I used to work as a a financial planner and the most common response I got was gardening and golf. Um, And again, it's like, how many days can you fill out of the 365 with gardening and golf? There's only so good your garden can look and there's only so low your handicap can go. So part of that um, kind of um, uh, self-reflection is understanding um, perhaps at a deeper level what it is that you want to do. And if that's not something you've done um, across your life, then uh, I guess what you're saying is that can be tough but
2: I'm going to come in here again because I, I know I keep banging on about this so I should perhaps stop but what you need to do has to include your element of responsive shared responsibility for helping others achieve what they want to do I think I feel that a lot of this becomes very insular very individualistic and the reality is different we are in a network we have that interdependency that Daniel mentioned so the conversation has to go inward, me, and outward, those others whose interests I think I have to consider or want to consider, and and round off the picture.
3: And I I think that that um, one aspect of that that we have to understand is that the the next generation is not somebody that 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 we um, want to clone to do exactly what what we did in the past that they. Younger generation has grown up in a different world. They've grown up technologically. They've they've gone to top uh, schools. They've uh, traveled all over the world. They are um, I I consider um, the, some of the younger generations to be a different species of people. Um, they're um, uh, you know they're they know different things. They do different things. They see the world differently. And if I am trying to say the things that I've I've done over the last thirty years have to continue um I'm gonna be creating a um a, a losing proposition for the future, whereas if I say, Wow, they have new ideas, wow, they have a different experience. Wow, they've been to business school that there's learned things that I never even knew existed um when I went to business school forty years ago um I need to listen to them I want to respect them and and that 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 uh Empathy is um, is also about understanding that I'm I may be the boss and I may be the owner and I may be the elder and I may be the the the, the father, but um, I have to really uh, become a learner in relation to my kids. Um, and um, and and that's part of the um, the empathy process. Means that you have to stop being the authority and start being a learner with your kids. <laughs>
1: One way that I, um, I saw this kind of explained was just the concept of coming at things from a position of curiosity rather than a position of judgment. Right. Um, and just being able to, as Dennis said, to, I-, I don't understand that, tell me more or tell me why, rather than you're wrong, you should have looked at it this way. And so I think that curiosity and judgment um, balance tied into that self-reflection and empathy plays a plays a big role
2: and it, and it comes back to something we talked about earlier that the next generations whatever millennials zeders whatever are probably the best educated most prepared generation in the history of family business and this is why in our paper we're saying well are the senior generation the best prepared most educated in the history of family business about something that has never happened before in history which is you might live to be 100 to which the answer has got to be probably not so we need to sort of fill that gap of with knowledge and experience so that we start to as you know see it from both ends as it were
0: yeah and we've spoken about um a couple of uh, tools and you've you outlined the some questions that can assist in terms of uh, say self-reflection you also mentioned in the paper the role of assessment so D- dennis what what role do you see assessments playing in successful transitions and, and what do we mean by assessments
3: well there are different kinds of assessments so there are assessments where you can learn about yourself that are reflective assessments so you can you know find out you know what your interests what your skills are those are things that are reflection but there, there's also another kind of assessments where you get information that you didn't know about. For example, leadership assessments. Um, the last person you want to ask about your leadership ability is you. You don't know how you affect other people and how you lead other people. So what we say in assessments is there are assessments that are, um, we call them 360 assessments, meaning you ask the people around you to, um, um, to give you information about how you're seen and you get that information back. And um, in in uh, um, in family uh, enterprise, I think, and, and as practitioners, we want to have reflective assessments where you discover things about yourself that you didn't know. What's your style? What's your skills? What's your strengths? But you also want to have three six assessments where you ask other people, ask the people that you work for, how um, how you are as a leader, how you're. Um, what what they uh, how they see you uh, what they see as your strengths and you get very interesting information and sometimes um, people are very that's very disconfirming it's very scary and the leaders um, you know resist um, those kinds of assessments but in a family enterprise I think a 360 assessment where everybody you know talks about how do we see um, how do we, what's the level of trust how do we communicate. Um, I'm aware of uh, what's our, what, what uh, the business is doing. Um, I'm aware of the plans for the future. And everybody, um, you know, kind of responds to those questions, and you look at the differences. Um, that's a learning tool that is, is really important um, uh, in, in, um, in, in this process, because this is how the elder generation gets new information, and this is also how the younger generation um, learns about things that, that they, they weren't seeing.
0: And would it also be true in terms of helping to prompt conversations around certain aspects that the the assessments give you something as kind of a benchmark to go, well, let's have a conversation around that. And, and back to what you're saying earlier about what does it need to look like in order to um, allow me to, to step away? It gives you that kind of framework to, to look at it through that lens. Well,
3: You see, when when you get feedback um, from an assessment, and and I've created an assessment called the Family Enterprise Assessment Tool, which is a 360, where everybody gives information, then um, when when you talk about the differences in the family, they're not attached to any one person. So somebody in the family doesn't have to set up and say, you know, I don't think we have a lot of trust in each other. Um, That's a very difficult thing to say. But the data says, hey, the trust, um, people um, answer the question about trust, with very low score, um, are, how um, uh, how do we how um, how is trust an issue in this family? Then nobody had to bring it up, but it could be discussed.
0: Fantastic. And <clears throat> Stacy, I'm very keen to hear uh, some examples that you may have seen for, for those who have successfully transitioned from a senior role within a family business or, or family enterprise.
4: Sure. So, Russ, this example has two parts, and the first part is probably more typical. It's uh, We'll call this status quo. And this was a wealth creator that started a business uh, very much in control and told his family that all of the plans had been taken care of, all of the succession uh, slash continuity plans had been taken care of. And the family bought into it hook, line, and sinker at face value and thought that that box was checked. And then the wealth creator passed and they were very surprised (laughs) that in fact uh, it had not uh, been planned. And if you think about kind of the depth of continuity planning, right, It's people think about it oftentimes too often as an event and this kind of check the box. And we know right through experience that it's it's a combination of ownership of management of leadership it's very you know there's lots of pieces to it and so the family struggled they grappled they worked through it and they got through that very challenging time it was hard and they almost lost the business in the process so my success story comes from the example of the second generation leader who after living through that experience and seeing that it was Way harder than it needed to be with uh, you know with a plan. It took it upon himself to build that continuity plan. And as he recently went through retirement, uh, these are a few of the things that he did differently. As he was kind of nearing that that stage of retirement, he had lunch with three different peers and asked them to share their experience and what they learned. And what he found was it was pretty easy to find people and also the person that he met with, the, the retiring exec, uh, business owner that got to share their experience also really enjoyed that uh, dialogue. So in essence, he was bringing the future to the present by learning from uh, peers. He also, uh, it, in this, they got really clear as a family on their priority they got uh, really clear on developing roles for family members. And in that rising generation, they didn't have anyone that wanted a day-to-day operational role in the business, but they all, they, you know, a certain number of them w- were very willing to be on the board, to be very engaged and really lend their talent and expertise there. And then he empowered a new CEO and very deliberately moved out of the big corner office into a much smaller office and only came into the office one day a week for half a day and really sending this kind of clear message on the the confidence in this new leader. And in terms of that uh, that next chapter, that vibrant next chapter, he had a North Star to go to. And so found a really energizing, wonderful mix of you know, doing some of the the fun leisure and family and travel and adventure and kind of social entrepreneurship with also taking a a position and getting very involved in mentoring at the local university. And so a very rich, vibrant uh, next chapter, but it was a process. It took a lot of uh, deliberate planning. It was done over time. And to Daniel's earlier point, they had kind of this, this plan, this fire drill that they did throughout. And so it was a very, very different process um, than when the, trans- the transition happened the first time around.
0: Yeah, and that speaks again to your reflecting on experiences rather than just learning from experiences. They, they were able to do that and reflect on that experience and, and make changes to um, how they wanted future experiences to be, right?
4: yes and and i would say too it took courage it took empathy it you know i mean it, there's lots more to say about the example but uh, you know in the interest of time we'll leave it at that but it kind of tied together in listening to uh, to everyone on the call today it, the elements of all of that and and i just want to underscore uh, ken's point of it really was this this wonderful balance of you know the independence and the interdependence you know really thinking more about kind of
2: the system and others. And and can I just pick up on something you said in passing there, Stacey? He sat down with a group of peers and it's not difficult to find people that you can talk to these things about. I would love us to be able to have a field in which for every next gen program that's running simultaneously, a program for people of another generation, they have the need to sit down with their peers to discuss their stuff as much as the next gen but as far as i'm aware you could correct me here that doesn't happen but there is a real need for it to take place
0: i agree i agree um again we've mentioned some of the elements and things to consider in in terms of approaching continuity or transition planning what are some of the tangible steps that the senior generation leaders can take to challenge their own thinking about what, what might be an upcoming transition for them?
1: Well, I think, I mean, we've covered so many of them today as we've, we've I guess, meandered through the paper. Um, but the first one has always been that idea of, of self-reflection and self-awareness. So taking that honest look in the mirror. Um, and Ken talked about the impartial spectator. Um, being an observer of those decisions. So actually taking the time to to make a conscious effort to do that, I think is important. Um, Dennis has just mentioned around how we can gain insights through assessments. Um, and I think that's vital and different assessments will resonate with different individuals um, and some focus on, again, self-reflection, some focus on collective reflection. So there's the ways in which that can be done. Um, Retaining a coach um, to support you in becoming that impartial spectator. Sometimes this is about creating accountability, both self-accountability, but for those that need it. Um, it's, It's the equivalent, I think, for me of, I mean, I could go to the gym by myself, but I don't. But if I get a personal trainer, and there's that accountability that I need to go, I've committed to go, I've set a time to go, I'll actually go. And so create those accountabilities as you need them individually. Um, We've just talked about peer groups, um, and I think there's nothing better than hearing it from someone in a similar situation. We, We run some programs at KPMG, and often the feedback I remember after the first night of a recent course, it was just that relief of, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one going through this. I'm not the only one struggling with this issue. My parents aren't the only ones that do XYZ. Um, so I think that peer group reflection um, can be very important. Um, studying, taking courses uh, was another one and, and I know um, Stacy will touch on that idea of lifelong learning um, and there's something to be said for that, especially coming back to one of the earlier points, which is this is a new skill set for a lot of people. And so this working assumption that because I was a unbelievably successful CEO, entrepreneur and grew my business to X doesn't mean that I'm just going to be as good at this. Um, this is a different skill. It's a learned skill and it's something that requires a lot of these actions. Um, the last couple that come to mind, we talked about getting involved in social, social action, social activities, philanthropy. Looking at the ward the the wider family enterprise, um, that idea of the business family of of a family office, uh, all of these things I think uh, are steps that individuals can take um, within this process, just to to create potentially levels of accountability, but to also create tangible progress steps and milestones.
0: And Stacey Daniel mentioned there uh, around the kind of a role and and value of um, being a learner for life and lifetime learning. Um, Given that, what, what are your suggestions for how the senior generation can become learners for life?
4: So Russ, I think the first thing is to recognize that a big part of adult learning is unlearning. And what is it that we need to unlearn, right? Adam Grant's a whole book on think again, that's so brilliant. Um, And then I think it's helpful to understand in terms of uh, each person individually and their strengths, where does love of learning fall for you? And so one of the assessments that we use is the via character strengths. And, you know, love of learning is one of those strengths. And for some people, it's a signature strength in their top five. And for others, it might be a lesser strength. And the thing with strength is it requires doing, right? And then we can build it. And so how have leaders that we've worked with built that strength? Uh, one family that comes to mind had a family council that was pretty robust, and the family council had an education committee. and on that education committee were family members that had signature strengths of love and le- of learning, and they kind of infused the system with this excitement and energy and ideas. And so, it can be a parallel of family learning and then individual learning. For the individual learning, it's looking at what's exciting to you, what do you, what's reasonable, what can you work into your schedule. And at this combination of books, of podcasts, of we keep coming back to the importance of peer group learning. One of my biggest learning, uh, most valuable learnings that I do is I'm an, in a squad. There's four of us. It's a true peer group and we meet monthly and really go deep into stuff. So can they develop their own squad of peers, You know, kind of a smaller group that does that. And then larger uh, groups, uh, look continue to look for uh, new ways and keep it fun and energetic and exciting so that it, there's more of a pull versus a push. Uh, another idea is the Next Big Idea Club for instance you sign up and they send you books once a quarter and they're books that you probably wouldn't get uh, otherwise if if i am super busy and i need micro learning i could you know use blinkist or something that summarizes some similar service that summarizes the books i think the most important thing is to recognize the value and build the habit of learning in a way that works for you and do it both you know Individually and with the family. And this gets into a whole nother topic of, you know, in our space of the role of the chief learning officer in the family and the importance of building those competencies. So we could ha- spend a lot more time on that, but really fun and energizing if done in the right way and, and can be a real game changer in families.
2: I think also, <clears throat> firstly, the paper aims to share ideas that hopefully in some shape or form will be helpful. Not all of them for everyone, but some of them for some people. And I would just like to say, you know, in terms of the arc of our conversation, there is still something in it for those who have said, look, I'm pretty clear what I'm going to do. I'm going to work really hard, make a lot of money, retire at 60 and sail around the world." But just make sure everyone else who is affected by your decision knows that and that you have taken into account the impact that that will have on them, which brings us back to this kind of notion of mutual sympathy or empathy. It might not just be as simple as you would like, because when you're ready to go for it, the people who who you have relied upon to be ready to step up may be thinking, I didn't see that coming. Crikey, I'm now going to have to abandon my career aspirations to sacrifice my life that I wanted to live to enable my dearly beloved parents to go and do what they wanted to. It might have been helpful if they told me ten years ago that's what they wanted. So it is all about, you know, an empathetic consideration for everyone who's affected by the outcome of these events and uh practice it. You get better the more you do it.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And Uh, I think you mentioned about the the arc of our our conversation, and we've touched on this as well throughout, but but Daniel, perhaps you could just kind of summarise for us in terms of that what families can do to help support the senior generation's evolution in in terms of, again, some of the things we've already mentioned um, throughout today's conversation.
1: Well, I think it definitely that completes the circle because we've we've talked a lot about what we what we see the senior generation being capable of and and the actions they can take, but coming back to this interdependent nature, um, there's a lot that the rest of the the system and the next generation as well can can talk about. So that question of well, what what could you be doing to help your parents or grandparents come to terms with the need for a purposeful next chapter? Um, what could you do to help them resolve the difficult challenges they may be facing? Um, what's what's your contribution in helping them to continue to have a rewarding life? To Ken's point, there's a fine balance here between a, a sense of duty and obligation to a sense of, of help or willingness. Um, and this should always be for, for mutual benefit, but sometimes leaving it up to them um, isn't very helpful. And, and if you've got the power to have an impact on, on their lives as the next gen, then how do we help that? How do we understand their concerns, their fears, um, even to Ken's point, their expectations of you as the next gen? Um, and then I think the last point is, is understanding the implications of timing. Does, is this going to happen as quickly or as slowly as you desire? Um, Sometimes pushing too fast can be quite problematic. Um, We often talk a lot with families around that process of change. Um, And there's a great paper that talks about those stages of kind of disengagement, exploration, choice, implementation. How do we bring that process so that people are moving at a pace that they're comfortable with um, and at a pace that's comfortable for the collective? So... I think all in all, there's a lot of elements where the next generation can play that role. Um, And there is a a balance between saying, this is what I want you to do because it helps me. It's more about, well, this is what I'm looking to achieve. What are you looking to achieve? And how do we have a better understanding around that? And it it circles right back to this idea of empathy, uh, which I think has to underpin everything that I've, I've just mentioned.
0: I'd like to to go around each of you with some concluding thoughts. It's been a fantastic conversation, a really informative conversation. And um, I would highly recommend anybody that is listening to also go and have a read of the white paper, which we will link up in the show notes. But but in terms of concluding thoughts, Ken, if I come to you first, that the two elements to this, firstly, anything, else that you'd like people to take away from from today's conversation that perhaps we haven't covered um, in, in what we've spoken about so far, but also the benefits to the transition process of families taking what we've spoken about into their own circumstances. And then we'll open it up to everybody else as well.
2: Well, to the first question, I'm not going to add anything. My head's buzzing uh, with all the thoughts and ideas that have already been expressed. I've got no space for any more, so (laughs) sorry if that disappoints or is inadequate as a response. My fellow panellists might be more robust than I am. Um, But to the second point, um, I I was just thinking there, it's full of ideas. I, I don't want people to see these as a sort of, set of recommendations you ought to do this you ought to do that this is the best practice and all that stuff we're just trying to get beyond all that kind of attitude towards this whole topic to say look we're trying to open up the conversation give the senior generation the level of consideration that they need acknowledging that we're in it together and we need to kind of take those prosaic expressions and add meaning to them based on experience, based on knowledge, and then let people to take them up and get on with it. That's a bit general, Russ, but it's how I'm feeling at the moment. We've covered so much detail. I would It would be impossible for me anyway to offer you a summary. And as the editor of this
0: wonderful podcast, that's your job anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and Dennis, you're Closing thoughts on the conversation today?
3: I think we're in a unique time um, and the elders have to be um, uh, doing some uh, unique and unprecedented things and the ideas of uh, being a learner, uh, having empathy, understanding um, the, the challenges facing other generations um, and um, uh, giving up um, your kind of comfort zone and moving into a new Um, directions are are the themes that uh, I heard um, in the last, um, uh, uh, you know, in the discussion. And I think that uh, these are the things that people have to uh, begin to pay attention to. And I hope that we've made them clear um, and and excited uh, next generation, older people um, about, you know, becoming learners.
0: Fantastic. And Daniel, same same to you, closing thoughts on uh, our conversation today.
1: Well, I think for me, I mean, this is about, um, as Ken said, something that we're we're hoping continues the conversation. We haven't solved anything, um, but that idea of of okay, this is an interesting perspective. I should apply this to my way of thinking, and here are some ways for me to start that journey. Um, is really what what we were aiming for. Um, I think my only other takeaway is we we, we mentioned briefly this idea of the, the hard skills in terms of the tax planning or the legal. And often this gets talked about the soft stuff. But I think if you listen back to the conversation we've just had, there's, there's not much soft and easy about this. And so people, people applying the rigor um, that they apply to other planning, um, just because this isn't as tangible or numeric as some of the other planning that people have to undertake, it doesn't make it any less important um, and any less difficult. Um, so I think appreciating that, but still coming at it with a very positive intent and an optimism. I mean, ultimately, this process is meant to be one of of progression, growth and, and happiness. It shouldn't be seen or feared. Um, I think the biggest fear or the biggest issue would be not addressing it. So I think just understanding the, the nature of it and approach, um, approaching it with positivity would be kind of my, my final remark.
0: Fantastic. And Stacy, same, your, your closing thoughts on our conversation.
4: I think one of the things I so appreciated was the value of being in community and the dialogue and the learning and the elevation of what you can co-create, right? when you're working with, together is is incredible, and so I would just say it takes a village. This is really complex. You're going to need lots of people with different skill sets, and and it's really the family members leaning in. And then I'll just end with uh, Picasso's quote of creativity takes courage, and I'll borrow from that to say that continuity planning takes courage. And what to our listeners, to our family members, and the advisors that serve them. What is one thing, big or small, that you can find the courage to do to start being more intentional on this, the journey, the the process of continuity planning?
0: Fantastic. And that's a, a brilliant way to end um, the conversation. So all that's left for me to do is to say thank you to you all for your time, for your expertise, um, for your collaboration in, in creating uh, the white paper and um, I look forward to having uh, many conversations with you all in the future Great, thank you Russ Good to see
2: you
4: yeah, all Thanks so much
1: thanks. thanks very much
0: Thanks for listening, I really do appreciate it If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business I can help I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes. So please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.